Oh yeah, here I am in the beautiful South Island of New Zealand in my outdoor gym training under the beautiful snow-capped mountains and training with purpose, passion and enthusiasm. The reason for that because I have numerous competitions coming up and yes, I am a sports person, uh, I'm a businessman and I have a magnificent life. And in all aspects of life, there's going to be competition. So if you're in sport, you have to go to a competition where there are competitors and you have to train to prepare to be your best to maximise your chances of winning. And the same applies to business. In business, in any particular industry or profession, there's going to be competitors. And you have to train and you have to prepare your business to maximise its chances of success. And there's no guarantees in life, but the one thing you can control, you can control your training, your planning, your preparation to maximise your chances of success. And I guess, to me, life is an odds game. It's an odds, and you want to do everything possible to put the odds in your favour. So when I train... Uh, my fighters, I'm a martial artist, and I've competed in over 30 world championships, and I've built from scratch over 15 businesses. Now, some of those businesses became super successful, multinational, multi-million dollar businesses. Some became okay, <laughs> and some didn't do great as well as I expected. However, I loved everyone personally. Because everyone I did for the right reason, I was passionate about it, I served the purpose. And you don't win all the time. I've competed in over 30 world championships and world cups in martial arts, and I haven't won all the time. I have lots of silver medals and bronze medals, but not all gold medals. And many times, I have lots of nothing. I went away empty-handed, but I came back better for the experience. As the great founder of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu beautifully says, in Jiu-Jitsu there's no winning and losing, there's just winning and learning. And life is like that. However, in that preparation, you want to make sure that you do everything possible to be in the best condition you can possibly be from a skill point of view, a preparation point of view, a fitness point of view, whether that be for business, whether that be for sport, or even that be in relationships. You know, nothing just happens. Things happen just means they don't come out of nowhere. There's no such thing as luck. Luck stands for L-U-C-K, labour under continue uh, knowledge. Labour under continue knowledge. So if I have a competition coming up, and if it's, a, if it's a big competition with lots of competitors, and there's some great competition there, then what does that do to my training? That makes me <coughs> train harder, train better, train smarter to maximise my chances of success. And the same applies with business. If there's lots of competition, then you have to do all the little things that most people are not prepared to maximise your chances of success. And when I train my fighters for a competition, overall their career, I say, this is the simple philosophy that I want you to, to, to take on board. If you train hard enough and you train long enough and you train smart enough, you will win enough. You won't win all the time, but you win enough. You won't always win because sometimes life sends you curveballs or they send you messages or better competitors to make you better. If I fight a better competitor, that inspires me to get better the next time. And life isn't about winning one battle, you know, it's about winning the war. 
the war's made up of lots of battles, and you're not going to win every single battle. However, you can win the war if you persist. And any time you fail is when you quit, or worse off, if you don't even start. So whether it be for sport or life, whether it be for uh, you know, business, <coughs> it's important that you know, it's, it's the long game. It's like the tortoise and the hare. You know, the hare took off quickly and got the start, then got complacent, sat down. But the tortoise, it just kept going, kept going and kept going. It wasn't the fastest, but it didn't stop. When the hare was sleeping and sneezing, the tortoise was plunging through. When I went through university and I went through different courses, I've never been the smartest person in the group. But one thing I knew, I was the person who would keep going until I succeed. Well, you're sleeping, I'll be doing if you're getting complacent, I'm upping my tempo. And I not have to be the fastest because life is not a sprint, it's a more of an endurance. I know uh, some of our students ask Rory, uh, how do you run a marathon? Because she's run uh, over 21 marathons uh, in her journey. And I say, how do you run a marathon? And she puts it so beautifully. She says, this is what you do. You get at the starting line and when the gun goes, you start running. And you just keep running and you don't stop. And when you cross the finish line, you stop. <laughs> it's not that hard. So if you just keep going, and you don't have to be the best in the world, you just have to be the best in your world, depending on what you want to build. So look, I've been in this, the exercise profession uh, since I was 17, uh, which is now going on 40 years. I've been in the fight game, martial arts, since I was 10, which is... I won't even go into how long that is, how approaching, jeez, uh, what, 47 years. So I've been doing this a long time. And while other people have quit or phased out or complained and wins, I've just kept going. And in that time frame, I've accumulated a lot of success in business and I've accumulated a lot of success in sport, uh, having won now 32 gold medal, uh, championship medals in, in, in Taekwondo and martial arts over that long term because I just keep showing up, I keep competing, I keep going back, I keep learning, I keep training and I just don't stop. I don't win all the time but I win enough along that journey. I don't put pressure on me that I have to win every time, I just put pressure on me to be my best. And there's the, the great um, you know, Phil Jackson, the great coach of um, you know, the Chicago Bulls and the LA Lakers back in the days and he's won 11 uh, NBL basketball championship rings and he coached people like Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan, the legends of the game he says to his players you know, I'm not expecting the perfect performance because there's no such thing as the perfect performance he says all I want is the perfect effort the perfect effort in training the perfect effort in planning the perfect effort in preparation and the most of all the perfect effort in your performance leave your heart on the field that you've done everything you can possibly do to be the best you can be because you can't control the competition, you can't control uh, the rules, you can't control the referees, you can't control the administrators, all you can control is your performance. And when I coach my team into whether it be sparring or patterns or whatever it might be, I say, this is what I expect from you. I want a gold medal performance. Now that may not win you the gold, but you've given your gold medal performance. Leave your heart on the field. Leave your heart 
in the industry. Leave your heart on the mat in the pool in the business. Leave your heart in it. And a good friend of Rose and I's, Wayne Pearce, is one of the legends of rugby league. He was the Australian rugby league captain, New South Wales State of Origin captain when they used to win. And uh, he was also a champion coach. And he basically says, you know, what's most important is we're known as the hardest working player on the field. And he says, what's important is when you come off that field, you know you've left your heart, your blood and the guts on the field. Now, you won't always win, but you know you've done everything possible to win. And the challenge with uh, a lot of people is they feel a little bit insecure or they have that doubt or they fear competition. So rather than fearing competition, get excited by competition because if it wasn't for your competition, you'd have no one to compete with. I have massive respect for everyone who comes into my business uh, uh, profession or anyone in uh, my sporting profession and I compete against. I have utmost respect because if you're not there, I'm not here (laughs) because it takes a group to create a competition. It takes a group to, to create an industry. Now, in my journey... I've been the pioneer in many particular uh, industries that are now flourishing industries and professions. So when I was young, I knew my passion was fitness and exercise and training and sport. So what I basically did is I chose to do what I love, uh, and I knew I wouldn't have to work another day in your life. Now, I was also very good at other things, which I wasn't passionate about. I was at school, I was good at economics and accounting, and I could have become an accountant or an economist, and I could have made lots of money, but I wouldn't have been happy because I wasn't passionate about that. What I was passionate about was sport, fitness, and training. And that was going back in the early 80s. Now, there wasn't a big flourishing fitness professional industry back then. We didn't have the big mega gyms and the big chains and 24-hour gyms, and there was no such thing as boot camps. And there's a lot of things that exist today that weren't then. Back then, the industry was a little isolated uh, bodybuilding gyms uh, or powerlifting gyms, and it was the start of the aerobics boom. You know, you, with uh, you know, the, everyone in their leotards and spandex doing aerobics, but people didn't go in the gyms except for the bodybuilders. But I knew that if I did what I love, I'd work out a way to make a living out of it, and most importantly, I'd be happy, irrespective of the bank bank balance. My bank balance could be low, but my heart balance was high, my passion balance was high, and my happiness was the most important thing. However, what I do know is when you do what you're passionate about it, uh, for the right purpose, you soon learn to how to create profit out of it by building an enterprise. So when I was, uh, started working in the exercise profession, I was working as a gym instructor, and my passion was sport and strength training. And at that time, I thought, if I could combine sport and strength training and become a strength trainer for sport a strength and conditioning specialist, then I'd be really living the dream. If I could do that for a living. So I started a business at that time called Sports Elite. I just started by how I came up with a name. Uh, a friend of mine was a bit of a graphic artist, and they came up, Karen Smith, the name was, and hey, Karen, if you're watching this, she designed my logo and designed my cars, and I, I did the screen printing of my own, own shirts, polo shirts myself, because I couldn't afford professionals, so I self-taught, and it was from Karen again, of how to get a screen print, and you put the paint in, you, you go over the... The, the t-shirts and you make your own logo so I started off as sports lead and over time when you're passionate about it, you're throwing it out to your universe for the right reason people tend to find you it's quite amazing they'll find you 
Uh, or maybe they were there all the time, but you didn't see them because you, you weren't living the passion. So it wasn't long before I accumulated a client, my, one of my first clients called Brett Martin, who happened to be one of the best squash players in the world, the world champion. Yeah, we just happened to cross paths. And after a bit of a chat, and he sensed my passion, and I said, well, if I can design a strength and conditioning program which is specifically designed for squash, you know, would you be interested in this? That's going to make you more powerful and stronger and less, less injuries. And he said, yeah, that's cool. So I started training him and that one led to two and I have this philosophy if you can get one then you can get a hundred if you can get one you can get a thousand you just got to keep doing what you did to get one a hundred times and you get better at it which means it won't take as long so at that particular time no one ever really heard of the profession of a strength and conditioning coach because most sporting teams at the time, well, all sporting teams, didn't have strength and conditioning coaches. You know, the coach themselves would get the players, would run around the field and do some push-ups and do a bit of that. And maybe the individual player would go to the gym and do their own thing. But there was no position as a strength and conditioning coach. That position did not exist. And I was one of the first strength and conditioning coaches in Australia back in 1988, training athletes. And it wasn't long before uh, I was training more and more clients. So there was no for a better choice of words, industry. I was the first. Now, that's a good thing. means I have no competition. But the not-so-good thing is that no one knows what I do. <laughs> so people don't sit there and go, I'm going to call a strength and conditioning coach up and go searching for me because they don't even know that I exist. They don't even know my position exists or my uh, expertise or my profession exists. So therefore, even though you're first, first is sometimes not always the best because there's no industry, there's no momentum, there's no culture, there's no acceptance. So half of my job uh, was educating people of why they need me. <laughs> this day and age, you don't have to educate people of why a sporting team needs a strength and conditioning coach. They already know. It's not, will I have a strength and conditioning coach? Now it's, which one? Back then is, what's the strength and conditioning coach? Why would I pay money for you? I don't need you. I've gotten up to where I am now without you. So I always remember... A conversation I, um, you know, at the start, I had to promote myself, and I wouldn't have to promote myself, I had to promote the industry, I had to promote a profession. So I set up this seminar, and I won't go into detail, but I approached and attracted to me a, uh, a number of experts in established uh, professions within the sports uh, medicine, sports support area. I got a sports physiotherapist, a guy called Michael Payoff. And these were all elite guys. Yeah, they were working with State of Origin, national sporting teams, international teams. I uh, attracted Rhonda Anderson, who was a dietitian from many national sporting teams because sports dietitian was accepted then. Sports physiotherapy was accepted then. I got Dr. Paul Armstrong, who was a sports physician. That was an accepted thing then. Everyone knew about they did. I got uh, Dr. Ian Liner, who was a sports psychologist. That was an established profession, so they knew what he did. And I got a guy called David Keating, who was the manager of the Australian Institute of Sport. And uh, everyone knew that, hey, sports managers, you need that. And then I was the sports strength and conditioning coach, who knew, no one knew what I did, but they knew what all the other panel did. So there's five of them, one of me, and there's six of us. And I promoted this uh, seminar series called the Peak Performance in Sports Seminar Series, and I promoted it to a big evening. I invited coaches and sports people and all of that stuff, uh, put it into a five-star hotel. I got the panel. We all got up there and, and did our pitch to inform and educate and inspire and motivate people. And everyone knew what they did, but no one knew what I did. But I knew if I had to, if I had to uh, share what I did, I need to have the associated credibility from everyone else around me. Now, these experts knew the benefit of what I did because they were fairly educated. 
educated type people and they knew about strength and conditioning and the importance of it because they were trained in that particular field. So I did the seminar, ended up getting hundreds of people who attended and before you know it, my, my career was launched basically on the coattails of the other five. Uh, five. So it was a win-win situation. They got more clients from it. I got more clients from it. They started referring their clients to me. And before you know it, I'm training uh, the uh, Olympics, um, the Australian Olympic kayak team for the Australian Institute of Sport. And I'm you now all of a sudden, before you know it, I'm, I'm training national sporting teams. But it didn't just happen. It happened just. I had to create that being... I guess one of the first people in the field, and I had to basically build the field. Being one of the first, you have to build the field, build the reputation, build the culture, and that is hard work because you don't necessarily, but enjoyable work because you don't get a direct uh, return. You have to build the field for people to come to it to see what you do, and then once it's built, then everyone else jumps on and benefits from your hard labour. You know, so sometimes uh, it's not always the best to be first. However, if you wait for someone else to do it, then you'll probably be waiting too long and you never actually do it. And even my puppy dogs who are wrestling in the background are agreeing with me. They're having a fun time out here in the sunshine. So, but in that time, I knew I needed competition. I needed other strength and conditioning coaches to create an industry, a profession, so we can all benefit. We need to create competition because without competition, there's no event. <laughs> You're just sitting in a paddock by yourself with no one to compete with. So whether it be in business or, or sport, you need competition. And if you're the first, there's no competition. So you have to, in, in a way, promote other people to come in to compete with you. Otherwise, I'll be on the mat fighting with no one in front of me. I'll be in business with no one in front of me to compete with. But then no one will want to watch it because no one knows what we do anyway. So in that journey, uh, yeah, at the start, I had to educate other people and sporting teams. I remember I was working with, uh, I ended up working with the Australian baseball team, but I remember uh, having a conversation uh, with the, uh, the CEO of the, uh, and we are chatting. He says, what do we need you for? Because he'd never really heard of strength and conditioning coach back in those days. So I sat down for about one hour taking him through why his team needed, didn't want, they needed me to maximise their performance, uh, get them strong, fit, powerful and reduce their chances of injury to have longevity and I basically had to not sell them my services but actually sell him the benefits of this new flourishing industry. Nowadays every uh, yeah, significant sporting teams have a full-time strength and conditioning coach. Back then there was none but over time that grew and the same applied with later on not many years later after that I expanded my services when I was training national sporting teams and lots of international athletes. I took my service to the general public through a term which is commonly known now as personal training. But back then, no one knew what a personal trainer was. You know, people thought, what's a personal trainer? If they did know, it was one of those people that uh, Hollywood movie stars got to train them for a movie. But outside that, why do you need to pay for a personal trainer? I can go down to the gym myself. So... When I decided to become a take my services as personal training, my first business was called Gold Coast Personal Trainers. My sports and conditioning business was called Sports Elite. Again, the same thing applied. I had to, I was one of the first, so I had to almost educate the population of why they need a personal trainer. Now, I don't have to educate the population now, some you know, going on 40 years later, because everyone knows the benefits of a personal trainer. 
They just have to decide which one are they going to pick based on whether they're the best or whether they're the personality, whatever it might be. But back then, they said, personal training, well, what do you do? What does personal trainers do? And why would I pay you money to do that? Which again, now you're in the start of being first. Yes, means I have no competition, but I've got no competition with an industry that doesn't exist. <laughs> now I have to create the industry uh, myself and try to bring on board competition because the more people speaking about it and the more people doing it, the more acceptable it becomes. I guess you look at some of the great pioneers in the world <coughs> from a business, a great company, uh, whether you like their product or not, is Starbucks. Starbucks is the most successful coffee chain or coffee uh, cafes throughout the world. They have hundreds of thousands of them around the world. We all know who they are. Uh, but they started with the owner, Howard Schwartz, who had to create an industry, a coffee drinking population. Because even in my fifth, going on 60 years of life, if you said to me uh, back in the early 80s, and you said, hey, came out, let's go for a coffee, I would look at you and say, what are you talking about? Go for a coffee. That would be like me saying to you today, hey, let's go for a carrot. Just, what does that mean? <laughs> go for a carrot. Well, the same applies if I say to you now, let's go for a coffee. Well, that has two meanings. A, let's go and have a coffee. But more importantly, let's go and connect and chat. It means let's catch up over a coffee. But that culture was created by um, you know, Howard Schwartz in Starbucks. They created the coffee culture uh, and it expanded where it was acceptable now not just to go and have a coffee outside, uh, lattes and all the different variations. In my days, it's just one coffee. It was called International Roast Instant Coffee. But now there's so much. Uh, and you had to create this culture that not only that, the people were quite happy to pay, you know, five, six, six, seven dollars for a coffee. And people go, that's crazy. I remember my old man, a little side note, he picked me up from the airport, and this is going back in the early, really early 90s. And he... Uh, he picked me up from the airport, and I was waiting. He went and had a cappuccino. And my old man's, you know, he's he went through the war, and he's seen many phases in the world. And when he picked me up, I says, "Hey, going, Dad?" He says, "Oh, you wouldn't bloody believe it. You wouldn't believe it." I said, "What's that?" He says, "I had a cappuccino. I was waiting for you." I said, "Yes." He says, two bucks fifty. They charged me. Would you believe that? Two bucks fifty. Unbelievable, because he comes to the coach, you have coffee at home. The only time you have coffee at home is in the morning, instant coffee. And maybe on a special occasion, you may have a percolated coffee at a dinner party or something like that. But outside that, you didn't go out and buy coffee in, in, in a cafe. They didn't exist. You didn't buy coffee uh, in, a, in a snack store because they didn't exist. But now they were existing, so he tried it out. And then he says, you know, 2 bucks 50 that's 50 cents a sip. So he didn't recognise or didn't accept or value the value of the coffee. What's really interesting, within six months, <coughs> he was the coffee king of the Gold Coast. He knew where all the great coffees were because he bought into the culture. That culture was pioneered by uh, Starbucks. And now then the industry has grown. And in that time, not only has the industry grown and other competitors come into the industry to grow, but Starbucks have grown because now it's a bigger pie. It's not just a little tiny pie and you're the only person eating it. You know, you're, I'm, the, I'm the only person here. I've got no competition. Isn't that great? But the tart pie is so small. However, if you get more people involved to build a bigger pie, 
everybody benefits. And it's easy to sell a bigger pie than a small pie that no one knows about. It's easy to sell a bigger pie that everyone knows about than a small pie that no one knows about. It's easy to be part of a big industry where it's accepted for your services. You just have to position yourself in your target market in, in, in that pie, in those services, rather than having to build the pie because everyone's building the pie. Everyone's building the industry to benefit everybody. So when I was a personal trainer, I ended up building, I was one of the first personal trainers in Australia back in you know, the late 80s, and I was the first, one of the first people to have a personal training studio. Studios didn't exist back then. You went to the gym. So I created a little studio uh, in the Rang on the Gold Coast, and I started, and people said, why would you go to a studio with a small little studio when I can go to a big gym? And people didn't understand because that culture hadn't developed. So I was at the start of planting that seed of that culture where you can come to a studio. It's private, it's personable, it's customised, it's not noisy, there's not lots of mirrors, there's not a lot of big gym junkies or female junkies looking at you, making you feel intimidated. It's private, and there's a big market for that. But people didn't realise. There was no market back then, but there was a potential big market. So for a potential big market to be created, someone has to plant the first seed. Because the first seed, then invite other people to plant the seed and plant the seed, and before you know it, you have a forest. And when there's a forest, there's plenty of wood to go around for everybody. But if you're protective and not letting other people plant the seed because you're insecure about competition, you end up with one tree. <laughs> but if you have a forest, you're going to have a choice of trees uh, for your, your services. So... At the start, competition is good to encourage competition, to encourage people to come in to help build collectively uh, an industry, for choice of better words, I like to call it a profession. So when I started studios, then that started, and now they're, these days and days, one of uh, uh, my colleagues who you know, I've been involved in mentoring him for the over, over, well over 20 years, called Vision Personal Trainer, owned by Andrew Simmons. He now has 64 or over 60 uh, personal training studios turning over $60 million. And there's studios everywhere. There's, there's Pilates studios and there's you know Zumba studios and there's all sorts of private studios. And uh, that brings joy to me because I was a part of starting that you know, back in the uh, late 80s and early 90s. But someone has to start it. And if, when that grows, everybody benefits. So rather than being threatened by competition, encourage competition. You know that if you go into a city, there tends to be a restaurant district. You know, so where are the restaurants? You go to the restaurant district, there's a street and there's Italian and there's Indian and there's Thai and there's Mediterranean. And there's a whole list, all these restaurants. And that, that becomes a buzz. I'm in the restaurant, buzz, and there's people out, uh, fresco dining, and you're walking around. And this time you have Thai, and next time you might go and have Italian. And what you're doing is creating a buzz and, and a... Uh, a culture of going out for dinner, a culture of going out for coffee, a culture of people wanting a personal trainer, knowing what it is. It's this, everyone wants a personal trainer. I just have to work out how and who am I going to pick rather than what is personal training. Because you don't want to be a restaurant unless you're massively unique with a huge following to be isolated and have no competition. Because then you're just that little restaurant in the suburbs that no one knows about versus a building a district uh, like the food court or a district, you know, this is the district, the CBD district or the restaurant district. And you know, they do the same with nightclubs too. You know, you go and they're in the Gold Coast cities and where's the nightclub district? Or you go down to King's Cross or you go down there and that's where all the clubs, you've got a choice of clubs and you go back and forth. And the whole thing just builds a snowball effect of momentum and culture and acceptance and need and want uh, and you all benefit each other. Uh, rather than competing with those. So if you think of them as competition, 
um, then you're going to be insecure. And if you're insecure, you start to do emotional things based on your insecurity and you start to make bad decisions. But if you see them as ways to get better, if, I, if there's lots of competitors in my martial art tournament and I get insecure, I'm guaranteed to loss. If I get excited to say, these people are going to make me better, this person's really good at kicking, this person's good at punching, I've got to be aware of that, I'll get better at punching, I've got to move to the left, move to the right, and I'm going to, if I win, I win, win or lose, because life isn't about one bout. Life is just a continuation of bouts, and you can reset the bout anytime you want. Every day is the first day of your business. Every day is the first day of your relationship. Every day is the first day of your training. Every day is the first day of you and the next competition. So, yeah, you, you, I lose one competition, I'll get better for the next. And before you know it, I start winning, and I'll win enough to create the life that I want to live, doing what I love that's really valuable to me, that fulfills my values and my purpose. So when you, there's competition, without competition you don't get better. Because competition creates pressure. It creates, creates a, and I call it pressure testing. I put a little post up uh, not recently of, uh, of martial arts and I said, you know, the one great thing about competition, it gives you the opportunity to pressure test your fight skills to f- determine what works and what doesn't work. Because a lot of people train martial arts but they don't compete martial arts. And competition is a real important, I feel, a real important component of testing your skills, testing your mind and your body under pressure to see how you handle it. Because uh, it's great to say, yes, I'm a lethal weapon, but it hasn't ever really been tested. Uh, in a pressure situation, no matter what the rules are, any pressure where there's an outcome of winning and losing, but most importantly, winning and learning. The next step in when I was a personal trainer, I got involved uh, in education, training other people to become fitness instructors. And I was doing, I, I started the uh, Sports Elite Fitness Leader training program back in 1989, where I was training people to become gym instructors. And when the personal training profession started to take off, and it was just, we were still infancy stage, it was myself and a, a handful of others around the country doing it. I said, well, if I want to do it, and I'm benefiting from it, because I was a full-time trainer at that time, I was training 40 clients a week, charging $50 a session, so I was only about two grand a week, 100 grand a year, back in the uh, 80s and early 90s, <coughs> excuse me, which is, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good amount of coin, even to, in this day and age, and I thought, if, if I can do that, why don't I teach other people to do it? So I developed a course called the Personal Training Certificate, and it was the very first personal training certificate that I know of. Uh, that was run in Australia in the very, very early 90s. I presented on personal training at the National International Conference in Fitness uh, in Australia. I was the first person ever to present on strength training uh, in 1988. No, 80, 1988, I was the first person to present on strength training, sports conditioning training in 1988 in the National Fitness Conference. And it was 1991, I was the first person to present on personal training because a lot of people haven't heard of it and if they had heard of it, it was more through, hey, the Hollywood movie stars, not as a, uh, you know, a respected profession where you can actually create a great living and a career and a business out of it. And then soon after that, I put together a personal training certificate. And it wasn't long before other educational providers in Australia asked me to come and help them set up their first one. So I set up the first personal training certificate in New, uh, New South Wales and also Tasmania because... 
I share them. They obviously paid me to do that. But I thought if I can get them doing it and I can get them presenting trainers, and they can, then there's going to be more trees in the forest and the forest is going to grow. And before you know it, I don't, I'll, I'll stop having to plant the seeds myself because the trees themselves will reproduce. You know, their pines or the seeds will come off and they'll grow and it will become self-growth. It will grow itself without me having to do all the hard labour. The more I get involved, you know, together each achieves more, like team. You've got to create a team in the profession. Now, if you're... If you're uh, insecure with competition in a team, then you're going to go solo, and that, that's, that's a hard, hard way to do it because you never gain any, any momentum. And I always remember asked by one of my trainers who's working for me, because I built my business up where I had six trainers working for me. Uh, we're doing you know, just under 200 sessions a week. We're turning over close to a half a million dollars a year in a little personal training studio. It wasn't very big uh, in Miami on the Gold Coast above the Miami medical practice. Uh, and that's a half million dollar turnover back in the early 90s. And one of my trainers, Graham, he said, you know, okay, man, you're running all these courses to train other trainers. So that doesn't make any sense because aren't you training people to be your competitors? If you train people to be successful personal trainers, there's going to be more personal trainers out there competing against you. I said, yeah, that's, 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 that's a good look at it from an insecurity point of view. However, what I'm doing is I'm creating more personal trainers to get more clients to build the culture in this industry where more promoting more, promoting more, then the pie just gets bigger and bigger and we all benefit. And all you have to decide is where in that pie of success do you want to position your business? It's no longer, will my business succeed? It's now, where in the pie of success do I want to position my business? Whether I'm specialising in a particular target market, whether it be training children or adults or sports people or rehabilitation, whether it be a, a studio, a mobile trainer, or an online trainer these days, that's whole profession grown. And I believe that I was helping in building uh, the profession. Yes, I was getting paid to do that, but... I needed, I needed competitors to come in to make me better. So two things, it grows the profession for everyone to benefit. The second thing is that it, it actually makes you better because you only get better with competition. Yeah, so if there's no competition, you're not going to get better. And if there's competition, you learn from other people's experiences. I know as a fighter, I study lots of other fighters who have different styles and they learn different things and I take the best of them to apply into me. And from a business point of view, if there are other business successful businesses in this pie of success, I can learn from them because I'm only going to know what I know, but I can learn from what they know, which they've learned from their own experiences. So I can actually take the best and study the best of all the other competitors, put it into me, and that's going to make me better in my business or in my sport or in my life. Because you can't learn from others if there's no others. You can't learn from other competitors if there's no other competitors. Because other people are going to do it better than you in different ways and you can learn that way. So it becomes this big library of uh, learning tools and learning successes and learning resources from other people. The other thing is uh, if there's a lot, of, a lot of people in your profession, then it's easier to stand out. Because you can't stand out if there's nothing to stand out from. It's easy to stand out from a crowd if there's a crowd, but you can't stand out from a crowd if there's no crowd. So a lot of trainers say, oh, look, it's, uh, there's so many trainers out there, you know, so competitive. That's a good thing. If there's a lot of sheep in this paddock and there are heaps of sheep, then everyone knows, look at all the sheep. 
So that's the industry. That's the profession. There's lots of sheep. So if you want to stand out from the sheep, be not the white sheep, be the red sheep. And now you really stand out. It's very easy to stand out when everyone else is average. And when you find in every profession, every industry, there's a lot of average. A lot of people will do just enough. They'll start their business, they'll start their career, they'll do their sport, and they'll be average. And that's how they are, and that's how they like it, or whatever it might be. But when everyone else is average, it's very easy to be amazing, because you just got to do what they're not prepared to do. And a lot of those things are just the little things. I remember one of uh, uh, my business colleagues, uh, Dougie Dougie, his name is, and he has a very successful international business. He's a little short guy, and his message is, uh, all, you need, all you need to do is just stand a little bit taller than everybody else. If you stand a little bit taller than everybody else, first of all, everyone can see you because you're the little bit taller, and most importantly, you can see you above everyone. But if you're the same height as everyone, you're like in a, a flock of sheep, all you're seeing is the next sheep's bottom. <laughs> so you just got to be... Not a, you don't have to be massively better. You just got to be a little bit better across the board, and that will make a massive difference. So rather than being insecure that there's so many other trainers out there, so many other businesses out there, think of it this: if there's many out there, that means that's going to make me better because I've got many other people to learn from. And most importantly, if there's many average out there, then it's going to make me easier to stand out because I just got to do what they're not prepared to do. Uh, to make myself stand out for the right reason. It's easy to stand in in a flock of white sheep when you're pink. It's easy to stand out in the the low-lying grass if you're just a little bit taller than you. You can probably see out here, there's all this grass, and you can probably see every now and again there's that little twig that sticks up, little black twig, that black twig. So when I look out here, I don't really see all the average grass, which is sort of around about the same height, what stands out is those little black twigs, those little black twigs, and they go, oh my gosh, look at that. They stand out because they're, they're taller. Than, they're, they're, they're not a lot of them, but they, they grow a little bit taller. And what I notice in the mornings here, particularly in the mornings, is thousands and thousands and thousands of birds come through. And which blade of grass do they land on? Yes, they all go and land on the little black twigs. So you see the black twigs with the bird landing on top because it's the twig that stood out to the bird. And the bird's going to stand on the twig. It's going to stand on the highest twig. It doesn't have to be, you know, you know, 50 meters high. It just has to be higher than the average competitor. And most people, most competitors, will be average. So yes, it is hard if you're an average business in an, with average competitors. Because if you're average, then the only way you have to compete on is cost. It means you have to be cheaper. But if you're better then you don't compete on costs. So embrace competition, promote competition, uh, because without that competition you have no one to compete with, no reason to get better, and no way to stand out. And if you do that, then you're going to become successful no matter how many competitors they are, because you'll be the twig amongst the grass. See you in the next... K-Max, so I have to get back to training, put myself under pressure in training so I don't break in competition. So in competition, I'm not the coal, I'm the diamond, because pressure creates diamonds.